Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day, Lord. We thank you for the high privilege that we have to worship you, to open up the scriptures in, in just complete freedom, and to be able to expound and explain, Lord, and preach and teach, disciple, and encourage one another. And uh, I pray that that will continue, Lord. And, and as different brothers and sisters around the world, Lord, are, are going through different difficult times, God, in, in that area, Lord, we pray that you strengthen the church, strengthen missionaries, pastors, Lord, churches, um, strengthen them, Lord, in, the, in, in your grace and your truth, and help us this morning to be able to understand the word of God. I pray that your word will literally revive our hearts, that the Holy Spirit will teach us, remind us, enlarge our hearts, our minds, remove distractions, and allow us to focus upon the word of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to pick up um, uh, from verses, verse 9. And um, just to get the, uh, the, last, uh, the last time we were on here a couple weeks ago. So it says this. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So there is a difference between, um, as we look at this, this last stretch of the book of Philippians, between need and want. Uh, and throughout our lives, we're going we're gonna to probably experience different things like this. So we're going to say, uh, I need this. Or I want this. And we're going to have to decide which one it is, right? And this one, we need the counsel of God. We need God's provision. And um, so I just, uh, I just encourage you as we, as we look at this to examine your own life, your own uh, hearts. And um, because it's very important that we be able to discern needs and wants to understand contentment. And so as we continue, like I said, our closure of the letter of, uh, to the Philippians, we will see how the Christian attitude ought to be joy in giving there ought to be joy in giving so one of the running themes for for those of you that uh, jumped in the middle of the of the of our of our of our um journey through philippians is one of the running themes is joy and it's the gospel there's other things but primarily is joy and and we see how there uh, the christian ought to find joy in all circumstances of life we ought to find joy in, in who we are in Christ and what we do in suffering, whether it be in any way. And when we preach the gospel, and we have to learn, we have to learn this. This is not something that's going to come automatically. And this is why we go to the Word of God, because this is where we find how we find joy in serving. Not just serve to serve, even if it's for a good cause, but find joy in it. Find joy in even suffering when we go through difficult times to know that God is in control of the storm. Know that God knows the beginning and the end of that storm, and that storms are not uh, sovereign. God is sovereign. Joy in giving is what we're going to be seeing now. And this is also an important section, you know, and I want to I want to uh, take us back a bit and remember that everything belongs to the Lord. I want to start with that. Everything belongs to God. You know, in Psalm 24, one, it says that the earth is the Lord's and all it contains the world and those who dwell in it. Later on, the psalmist says in 89, 11, he says the heavens are yours. The earth also is yours, the world and all it contains. You have founded them you know all things have been created through him and for him 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything belongs to God, beginning with our lives, beginning with everything that has to do with us, with our mind, our heart, our eyes, uh, the way we live, everything. We belong to him as children of God. When we give our lives over to him, we realize that and we surrender ourselves. When we are living out of God's will, when we're not believers, we're simply rebelling against that. And so we have to understand that as Christians, we have to have that mindset. This is not a, a um, this is not up for debate. This is, this is what it means to be a Christian, that we recognize that our lives and everything belongs to God. You know, and we are truly owners of nothing. You know, everything is the Lord's. We may be administrators of things given to us, but he is the owner and does what he pleases. And that, again, as we see in Scripture, you know, Paul understood this reality well, that the, that the Lord held the title to everything, including his soul. You know, Paul understood this, even though he was in a Roman prison, even though uh, he was going through difficult times when he was in ministry and so forth. We see this Christian attitude in Scripture that not just Paul, but the, the, the believers of Jesus Christ, they understood that Jesus Christ, that God the Father has the title to everything, everything. He controls our lives. He controls when we came to this earth, and he's going to control when we're out of this earth. So he owns everything. You know, understanding this truth is the key, or is a key, we can say, to the storehouse of blessings that many Christians miss out on. A lot of Christians miss out on many blessings of God because they don't surrender to God. They, they're, they're constantly fighting against God and playing this tug of war, uh, you know, as if God needs us, as if God needs our stuff, as if God uh, um, needs to ask permission, you know. And so we're the ones who miss out when we're fighting against God. He's the one who blesses. He's the one that gives life. He's the one who gives health. He's the one who gives everything, you know. So there are a few subjects that makes people a little uneasy or fidgety, uh, you know, a little on the edge and discomposed, we can say. And one of those is talking about money, possessions and belongings, the three-headed little beast that makes us all fidgety. You know, and unless you come to understand, premise number one is that everything belongs to God. Again, premise number one, everything belongs to God. As a Christian, we must start there. You know, all other, because if we don't start, if we don't start with that premise, all other propositions or arguments that we, that we can listen to, that we can read, will be governed, you know, by a faulty, selfish, earthly premise that is Man is the owner of all things. So you either will start with a God-centered mentality of this subject or a man-centered one. You know, and so this is why it's important that we start with the right premise. And the premise is that God is the owner of everything. Not that God wants to be. God is already the owner of everything. You know, this, um, this is one reason why the doctrine of God, you know, has an impact and all our lives and how we live and how we use our belongings. And what I mean by the doctrine of God, I mean the character of God, the person of God. Uh, you know, the, the, when it has to do with the creator, when it has to do with everything of God. We have to under, this is why it's important to read the Bible and study and listen to sermons. Because the more we know God, the more we understand, man, it only benefits me to surrender more to him. Because you know who he is. And so... The focus must be upon God, not the human heart, 
for as we saw last week, you know, that the heart of man is sinful and prone to never be satisfied. The heart of man left to its own is chaos. The heart of man left to its own will never be satisfied. We can see this in our own lives and we can see this in the lives around us. People chasing and chasing and chasing after the wind and they're never satisfied. And because that is the heart of man, you know, and so that's why in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, 5, the, uh, the writer says, make sure that your character, speaking to the church, is free from the love of money, you know, being content in with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. It, this is an interesting thing that the writer of Hebrews tells the church that he says, make sure that, you know, that your character, right? You know, this is who you are. This is what people know us by is free from the love of money because the love of money is the root of all sorts of evils you know because the love of money or money gets us possessions gets us belongings gets us comfort and we have to understand that the love of money is evil it money is not evil it's when we love it and so we have to understand that God wants our all our love and so we cannot share that and for and God will never forsake us or abandon us. We have to understand that as Christians, continue to remind ourselves. You know, Paul writes and says, you know, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. He says to the Philippians, you know, and again, he's in he's in a Roman prison. He he's not possibly well clothed, well fed. It's not comfortable, you know. And and yet he's rejoicing from prison. He said, I rejoice greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. You know, Paul understood very well that all provision comes from the Lord. You know, but he was rejoicing that the brethren, this speaking of the Philippian church, were now partaking of the work of the Lord, in the work of the Lord. You know, we are blessed, you know, to bless others. That is just the Christian, that's a Christian motto. You know, and there is always more blessing in giving than receiving. You know, Paul was grateful for the Philippians' gift that came to him through their messenger Epaphroditus because he understood that it was God who moved the heart of the church, you know, who opened the eyes of the church to move and send them a gift. That, you know, we see this in Scripture. He was grateful when they sent this gift, this, uh, this it could have been a love offering, it could have, whatever it was. They sent this, this gift to him when he was in prison, and he said, man, I rejoice in God. And, and Paul understood this, that he wasn't rejoicing because the people were, were necessarily sending a gift. He was rejoicing because of who God is, because he knows that it's God who moves the hearts of man you know in second corinthians 9 8 we see something like this and god is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have in abundance for every good deed again paul writing to the corinthians you know that it is god who makes all this grace abound to us it is not how hard we work you know, although that might play a role, it's not. It's really God who is going to provide. It's really God who is going to make this work for us. You know, a writer uh, writing on this, he said, uh, quoting this, he said, Now I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you caused your concern for my welfare to bloom afresh. Again, this, this gift from the, the Philippian church, then, it's just something that bloomed afresh to them. You know, and, you know, years had passed, you know, and... This brotherly kindness 
was rekindled for Paul's well-being. Remember, Paul was not in the Philippian church. He was in a Roman prison. Years had passed that he planted the church. You know, let's just say it was 10 years apart from the time he planted it to the time they wrote this. Let's, you know, let's give or take a couple years from that. You know, and he was rejoicing that, man, they remembered me. You know, they remembered, you know, that uh, I'm in a Roman prison, right? It's kind of like when we remember our brothers and sisters that are around the world that are incarcerated for the sake of the gospel and they receive a gift from us they received a letter from us they receive a prayer from us you know i'm sure that brings them joy knowing that there are saints in other parts of the world that remember them and that's just a call to us to understand this that's why the scripture says remember those who are in chains as if you were there with them right because we are connected together by the holy spirit we are family you know that you know they were concerned for their brother you know, and they acted upon that concern. And for the, therefore, Paul was rejoicing over that. You know, because one thing is just to be concerned, and one thing is to act upon your concern, right? You know, we can, we can be moved by pictures, by images, by videos. But if we don't act upon it, you know, it's just good intentions, you know, and, and, or a good thought, or, you know, or, or, or you were just concerned, but it never went beyond that. And so, uh, unfortunately, that's what happens to us as Christians a lot. You know, we say, well, I'm just going to pray. You know, I, well, I, I'm just going to see what God does. You know, and God is saying, no, I want you to do something, right? You know, that's, we are the hands and feet of the gospel. It's us who are going to make the impact, uh, you know, through God's provision. You know, Paul wasn't there physically, like I said, but the saints, they cared for him. You know, it, it's, it's not just when, it's not just um, when Paul was there preaching or teaching or establishing the church that was important. It was, he was, he was, he was an important factor to them. And because he was a brother in Christ, he was not just a missionary that planted a church and left. No, he was a brother in Christ. You know, this wasn't the first time the church sent a gift to Paul. You know, in verse, uh, in verse 16, uh, it says, For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So the church was active in this. You know, and that's why he says when they rekindled this afresh, when they bloomed this afresh, he said, man, it was about time you guys sent another gift. You know, not because I need it, but it's for your well-being. You know, like I said, Paul also tells the church about missed opportunities. You know, when he says words like, indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Right? He says, look. I understand you have you have the you have the heart of God, right? You guys are pursuing the gospel, but you lacked opportunity. He doesn't explain exactly when or how that happened, but he he makes a note of it that they lacked opportunity. You know, they didn't move on that concern prior. You know, not that Paul needed it or wanted it, but in reality, like it says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Because Paul knew that God blesses those who bless. You know, Paul knew the more that they give, well, the more that God will bless them. And, and again, that's not a message of prosperity. That's just a biblical teaching. You know, unfortunately, when it comes to money, it's been, it's been scandalized in the church. It's been, it's been manipulated in the church. And so when we hear money, we, we cringe. We get all weird about it. But in reality, everything belongs to God. It, you know, if we give our souls to God, how much more wouldn't we give our possessions to God? You know, and so think about how many missed opportunities have come by. Possibly we were concerned, you know, we got moved, but it never went beyond that. You know, that we just miss opportunities, not just to bless, you know, uh, but for us to be blessed by that. Again, it is more of a blessing to give than it is to receive. You know, we miss true blessings from God to our lives, from learning to be as God is. How is God? 
When we study the doctrine of God, God is benevolent. He is kind. He is tenderhearted. He is a good God. You know, the more we become like him, you know, the better we are. You know, strive to be like him. That is the call for us. We must strive to be like our God. The more we learn about God, that he is a benevolent God, that he is a kind God, that he is tenderhearted, right? You know, remember this. When Jesus saw the crowd, you know, when he saw the people when he was here, he was moved with compassion and he acted. Jesus didn't just stay with compassion. He's like, oh, man, I feel bad for them. You know, they're hungry. No, Jesus acted upon his compassion. And that is what she, that is one of the big differences from him and the religious folks. You know, not to go into that already. We talked about the last week. But, you know, one was only lip service and one was truly from the heart. You know, so properties, belongings, possessions, money should not master the Christian or consume the Christian. You know, that is what consumes the world. It really is. It's, 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 it's gaining more and more and more and more. But it should not consume the Christian. You know, being responsible, right, it doesn't mean we can't be a giving community. You know, it being responsible, you know, it doesn't mean that we can't learn to let go of temporary blessings in order to gain eternal blessings. You know, for the Christian, giving is sowing. You know, as we sow, then we shall reap. You know, that's what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 7, just to quote scripture on this. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purpose in his heart, not grudging or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, we, we are not to give just to put a check mark on our, uh, you know, on the list of, of, of moral things that we do. We should not just give to make ourselves feel good. We should not just give for the sake of a good cause. All those things may be good, but it's not the reason why God wants us to be a giving people. He want, it says he blesses the cheerful giver. When our hearts belong to God, we will be drawn to these things. When we learn more of God, we will learn to be content in Him. When we learn more of God, we will learn to give like Him. When we learn more of God, we will learn to be like God. You know, this brings me back to premise number one. And that premise is, everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. You know, unless you believe that truth, you won't sow bountifully. You know, if you don't believe that everything already belongs to God, you're going to sow sparingly. You know, because you still have not learned who is the landowner, who is the vine dresser. You know, the doctrine of God is fundamental. He is the creator. You know, he's the one that brought us into existence. He's the one that knew us before we were. You know, the one who positioned the sun, the moon, that's him. You know, the, he who controls the rain, who stretched the heavens, who, who stretched the sea, that's who I'm talking about. He who makes the soil fertile to yield crops to feed the people. That's the God I'm talking about. Without him, we would not even have food. Because he's the one who supplies everything. You know, we, we, don't, we don't really think about this because we walk into a supermarket and we get what we want, we walk out. But we don't realize the process for the food to get there. We don't realize the process for vegetation to grow. We don't realize these things. That without sun, without water, without fertile soil, there would be none of this. Without the creation of God. Because everything belongs to God. And his goodness is demonstrated in all ways of life. 
You know, in reality, we are just giving God what already belongs to him. You know, that, that's what we're doing. When we get to heaven and we cast our crowns before him, we're only giving back what already is his. You know, that's just the process. The glory goes back to God. The glory is never ours. Nothing is ours. We give him back everything. We give him glory. We give him thanks. We give him everything, no matter what. You know, and so in return, he blesses others, and we're blessed in the process. And that's just a circle that we see throughout Scripture. You know, when God is sitting at the throne of your heart, people don't have to convince you to give, you know, with touching stories, you know, or, or with, uh, with these emotional speeches or, or a, a, any way to manipulate the human heart. The human heart can be manipulated very easily. You show pictures, images, 30-second videos, you can convince half the crowd. That's not the way God works. You know, God does not manipulate. God wants our heart, as we saw last week. He wants the whole of man. You know, he wants us to be cheerful givers in every way. When we bless somebody, when we give a cup of water to somebody, that we don't do it grudgingly, that we do it with a cheerful heart. When we help somebody with our time, that we don't do it grudgingly, with, but with a cheerful heart. When we bless anybody in any way, that we do it with a cheerful heart. You know, that's what God wants, because a cheerful heart is a grateful soul. That's what it comes down to. Those who are cheerfully giving are very grateful for what they have already received, beginning with salvation. You know, somebody wrote something like this in a poem once. It says, giving is living. Give strength, give thought, give deeds, give possessions, give love, give tears, and give thyself. Give, give, give. Be always giving. He who gives not is not living. And that's very true. You know, let us not miss opportunities, you know, for the sake of love, for the love of self. You know, Paul tells the church this. He says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I love this. Because Paul had found what is called the rare jewel. Paul found it. What many people don't find, there's many Christians who just never find this rare jewel. Yes, they get to heaven. Yes, they experience the glory of God. Yes, they see the goodness of God. But not all Christians find the rare jewel. And that rare jewel is Christian contentment. That they truly live life happy, joyful, not always saying, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I want, I want, I want. You know, they truly have experienced that God is good to them. That whatever they have, you know, is a blessing from God. You know, but that rare jewel, not all fine. You know, circumstances, you know, are like the waves of the sea. They're unpredictable, they're incalculable, and changeable. And Paul says, I have learned to be content, you know, in whatever circumstances I am. In other words, it's not just because you sent me a gift that I am, that I'm content. I w I'm content even if you didn't send the gift, because God will provide some other way. You know, and he's saying this, he's saying that in whatever circumstances, you know, this is a big thing for us, because circumstances tend to change our contentment status. You know, a, a, you know, when circumstances change, when the economy has changed, when job changes, when family things change, when health changes, for some reason, we think that God changed. You know, we think that our standards change. And God says, you have to learn this. Again, that's a key word, learned and content. Learned and content. We don't, we're not just born content, right? Look at children. Children are very selfish. Children are very, they can be very greedy. Children can be, uh, demonstrate uh, how 
quickly, uh, sin just pops out. You know, we say, oh, how cute, but it's really not that cute. You know, and so, you know, we have to understand that we're, we're just born with these instincts that we need to unlearn and we need to learn to be content, learn to be grateful, learn to say thank you. These are things that we learn. You know, so our hearts, you know, and Christian posture or our Christian position in life needs training, constant training. It's not like, us, you know, a, every Sunday, you know, it's going to be enough. We need daily, daily. We need this daily bread. You know, one must learn to be content and not allow circumstances to dictate our contentment. You know, Christian contentment must be learned. And how do we learn this? By God. And how does He speak to us? Through His Word. And where are the examples? In His Word and around us. This is why we must drive ourselves into Scripture and see what God has done and see who God is. You know, because one learns many ways. You know, and another way God teaches us is through our experiences. You know, our experiences in our Christian life will be vital for our training. We will notice the goodness of God if we just stop for a minute and think. You know, that we don't do that a lot. We don't just stop and meditate and say, okay, where am I today? What do I have today? When we look at that, we start realizing, man, God has been so good to me good to my family, good to those around me. You know, even in the most difficult times, the Christian can say, God is good. God has been good. God has been with me. He has never forsaken me. You know, but we must stop and think. We must stop and meditate and be thankful to God for that. You know, day to day, one can see the goodness of God. You know, the provision of God. You know, the favor of God. If we just stop and think and stop and meditate. You know, learning contentment is finding satisfaction and a peaceful state of mind in Christ Jesus. As we learn this, we will find satisfaction. You know, we will find that truly God is all sufficient. Truly with God, I have everything. You know, truly if I have the favor of God, man, that is success in this life. If God, you know, if I walk in obedience, that truly is to be a blessed person. You know, for the Christian, this is a huge topic because we need to know God to find contentment. This is not a matter, I can't convince you of this. You yourself must taste and see. You know, total satisfaction in who God is and His will for our lives must be learned. You know, the, the, we, we must learn this through the scriptures and through life. You know, content is health to the sick and riches to the poor. Again, content is health to those who are sick and it is riches to those who are poor. You know, it's important to note one thing here, in case you were thinking. You know, contentment and complacency is not the same thing, in case that was in your mind. You know, although it would seem very similar, they are different. Uh, you know, and so the complacent person, just to clarify, the complacent person can be a bit prideful and puffed up for their accomplishments. And they adopt an attitude that is unteachable, and they feel they have arrived. They feel that they just made it in life already. And they're typically not concerned for other people. They're complacent with themselves. The content person is typically a grateful person, you know, with what they have, and they have an understanding of the difference between their needs in life and their wants in life. You know, and typically, you know, this, this, uh, they do not have an attitude uh, that I have arrived, you know, but they're very teachable. 
So there is a difference between being um, complacent and content. And God wants us to be a content people that is growing, that is constantly pursuing Him, that is constantly saying there is more of God. I want to see the glory of God. I want more of God. You know, not necessarily more of this world. You know, although we move and live in this world, and yes, there's things that come along. But that's why the Scripture says in Matthew, when Jesus teaching, seek first the kingdom of God, not just there, he says, and his righteousness, you know, and all these things will be added to you. Speaking of your daily needs, what you will, what will you be clothed with, what you will eat, right? These things we are not to be so occupied with. We ought to be occupied with seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, Paul learned to be content, you know, for he was in the school of trust, godliness, and prayer. This is a school of the Christian. Right, we can say this through many topics, you know, but he really was in the school of trust. He was in a Roman prison. He was not very well treated. He was not well treated, put it that way. You know, he did not have, if you look at his life, there was not a whole lot going for him, you know, according to the world standards. You know, uh, you know there was persecution. You know, he had to be right into the churches. He couldn't be there physically. He wanted to be there. You know, he loved the saints. You know, he had to trust God. Not only that, he was in a school of godliness. Even in prison, he was pursuing to be like him. That's an amazing thing. Even locked in a cell, he was still trying to be like God. You know, not only that, the school of prayer. He believed that prayer was sufficient, that prayer was suffice, that prayer worked, that the prayer of the righteous can't accomplish much. You know, in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, you know, he writes words like godliness actually is a means of great of great gain when accompanied by contentment you know when he's writing to timothy he said look man you know in reality godliness is you know, in other words being like christ being like god really is great gain when the person is content in other words when you realize who god is you know you're really gonna say man it really is you know um all satisfying knowing that I'm becoming more like my heavenly father. You know, there really is this satisfaction in life knowing that when I give, you know, cheerfully, when I do this, when I do that, you know, that it brings a joy to my heart because I'm becoming more like him and less like me. You know, because me is dying and Christ is coming out more because the love of self is dying and being suppressed day to day and the love of Christ is coming out more. That really is great gain, you know, as Paul writes to Timothy. You know, for the Christian man or woman, you know, we must pursue being content in Christ. The Christian contentment must be learned. We have to continue striving at this, you know, and now allow the world to influence our minds to fall into the trap that many fall into. And many Christians fall into this trap, you know, of you need this, you need that. You know, you won't be happy until you have this, until you have done this, until you have done that. Right? Many people fall into this very easily, you know, and so that these marketing schemes of the world, you know, cannot dictate our contentment. You know, it's not wrong to desire things. Of course not. It's not wrong, but it's when it masters our life. It's when that is all I'm living for. That's when it becomes a sinful thing. You know, in the book of Proverbs, you know, of course we know that there's so many wise things. And there's something in, the, in chapter 30, verse 7 and 9, uh, 7 through 9 that says, Two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. 
Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I, may, that I not be fool and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Again, words of wisdom. You know, he's saying, don't give me too much because the heart of man is prone to walk away when they have too much. He goes, don't give me too little because the heart of man is prone to do evil things in order to survive. And, this, and that's why he says, you know, just give me what I need. I need my daily bread. I need to trust in you day to day. Does it mean that the Christian doesn't have dreams? Of course not. Does it mean that we shouldn't pursue uh, 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 good things in this life? Of course not. But those things should not master us. You know, and in, as we pursue God, you will notice how you care less about certain things because you find that you find this uh, things that you are pursuing filled in Christ. And you say, and you start realizing more and more that there truly is contentment in Christ. That one can truly be satisfied. And one can truly say, you know what? I have enough. I have enough. It's time to give. We can get to that point in Christ. You know, the Christian and contentment, uh, you know, we know what the Bible tells us, right? We know this. We, we, can, we can recite it. We know the right thing to say that sounds Christian. Right? We understand that. We know what we should say or desire. I understand we all know this. But there's a couple questions that we have to ask ourselves because we know the right things to say as Christians, right? When somebody asks us, we know, you know, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, brother. How are you doing? Blessed in the Lord. Greatly blessed, highly favored, right? We know we're good at hiding. We're good at, at saying what people need to hear, people want to hear. You know, but the question really is for ourselves. Each and every one of us needs to ask this. What do you need or want to be content? You know, don't quickly say Christ because what is, what is your heart really saying? What do you really want? You know, to be content. You know, what is necessary for man or woman to be content in all circumstances? That's a question that you need to answer individually in, to yourselves in prayer and say, okay, God, I, I really don't want you, maybe. I really don't want this. I really don't want that. And that's just a, a confession that we come before the Lord and, and we ask him, help me, God. Help me learn contentment because I find that my heart has gone astray a lot in this area. Let me read this before I close out. This is um, contentment. It's a thought. Heavenly Father, if I should suffer need and go unclothed and be in poverty, make my heart prize thy love. Know it, be constrained by it. Though I be denied all blessings, it is thy mercy to afflict and try me with wants. For by these trials I see my sins and desire severance from them. Let me willingly accept misery, sorrows, temptations. If I can thereby feel sin as the greatest evil and be delivered from it with gratitude to thee, acknowledging this, is, this as the highest testimony of thy love. When thy son Jesus came into my soul instead of sin, he became more dear to me than sin had formerly been. His kindly rule replaced sin's tyranny. Teach me to believe that if ever I would have any sin subdued, I must not only labor to overcome it, but must invite Christ to abide in the place of it. And he must become to me more than vile lust had been, that his sweetness, power, life may be there. Thus I must seek a grace from him contrary to sin, but must not claim it apart from himself. 
When I am afraid of evils to come, comfort me by showing me that in myself I am dying, that in myself I am a dying condemned wrench, but in Christ I am reconciled and live, that in myself I find insufficiency and no rest, but in Christ there is satisfaction and peace, that in myself I am feeble and unable to do good, but in Christ I have ability to do all things. Though now I have his graces apart, I shall surely have them perfectly in that state where thou wilt show thyself fully reconciled and alone sufficient, efficient, loving me completely with sin abolished. O Lord, hasten that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you this Lord's Day thanking you, God. And as we look at Scripture and as we look at Christian contentment, we are asked a question, what makes us content? You know, what do we need? What do we want? Uh, what is that we're pursuing in this life in order for us to be joyful, to be happy, to, become, to be content? Lord, I pray that you can teach us through your spirit, through your word, what it means to be content in you, in, 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 in just in you, in, in your person, uh, in, in finding satisfaction in Christ. Lord, I pray that you can help us understand how good you have been, how benevolent, how tender-hearted, how kind, how good you have been day to day in each and every one of our lives. Open up our minds and our eyes to see your goodness in everything in our lives as we look at nature, as we look at our homes, as we look at our health, as we look at our day-to-day -day living, how you provide, how you are good to us. Lord, I pray that the Christian contentment will be learned, that us as a community, Lord, will learn to be a giving community, Lord. As we are responsible in this world, we will learn to trust you. We will learn the great gain in godliness followed with contentment, that we will learn how to be in the school of prayer. As Scripture says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.